Hey everybody, I'm Dane Holland, and I'm drinking what would be the whisper of fruit in a carbonated soda in a uh, Pomplamoose LaCroix, or LaCroix, as I like to call them. I'm Austin Shazam Pfeiffer, and I'm drinking mead, as you should be. Me? Mead. No, as I should be? Because I'm enjoying what I have now. I don't want... Honey wine. Okay. Everyone should enjoy sweet honey wine. Okay. I'm the Mad King. Why is everybody whispering with me? Marcus Whitaker. I am Electric Man. I'm Austin Tiny Sound. Why? And I'm going to give you a golden shower of information. Ah, beans. <laughs> I didn't get the memo that we were all whispering our intros. It's interesting that you didn't get that memo, Dane. We're not doing the ASMR episode. I'm not letting it happen right now. You can hear me at full volume. And this is Nerded Through the Grapevine, a podcast where four best friends gather weekly to talk about our favorite parts of past, present, and future nerd culture. Today's topic is the history of ASMR. I have been defeated. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. The one thing you could have done we're back. to beat me. The one thing you could have done to beat me. That's why you kept it a secret. I did. I had to. All right. Uh, the history of ASMR, which is the Autonomous Sensory Meridian Response. Uh, it's an electrical signal that tingles from the scalp down the neck into the upper spine. Um, it also is from the same part of the brain that orgasms come from. Oh. It is, and that's literally what it is. A super mild, euphoric feeling caused by a bodily sensation. Hmm. And... Uh, it's kind of funny. I was just, I've been joking about the ASMR thing for a long time, but have it, you? I didn't notice. Yeah, shut your. Anyone mouth. else? Anyone shut else your, in this room? Breathe through your no. nose. No, shut them out. Uh, it turns out it actually came from a forum in a medical chat room. Somebody was like, "Hey, I get this funny feeling whenever I hear these things," and they were like, "Hey, let's look into that." Yes. Oh, good. Literally, oh. exactly what happened. I did it. <laughs> it started for, on Damn, a dis- I'm smart. Started on a discussion forum from uh, Steady Health. Steady Health. Steady Health. Okay. And that was in 2007. I was like, there's got to be more to this that I can find. And yes, there was a mentioning of this in a medical profession. Um, and actually, 1925 from an author named... Virginia Woolf. I've heard of this Virginia Woolf. In Mrs. Dalloway. I thought you were going to say Doubtfire. (laughs) I was was like, trying to remember that movie. When was the ASMR orgasm? You have a penis, but imagine a surprise. What? Huh? Mrs. Doubtfire. Okay. Dude looks like a lady. Oh, yeah, that's the one. How dare you? Mm. I thought he was at his leisure. Yeah, I did too. In the book by Virginia Woolf, um, the nursemaid speaks to a patient. And this is in the quotations, Mm -hmm. and this is the way it's meant to be presented. Please. Deeply, softly, like a mellow organ, but with a roughness in her voice, like a grasshopper's, which rasped his spine deliciously and sent running up into his brain waves of sound. I think you just did it. Yeah, I got to I got to go. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> but i just but they didn't have the magic of your mustache into the microphone as well oh, yeah so that, that really adds to I, it it's really good i can't help it it just it is what it is now is this something that's like most people are like 
like have this happen to them without them knowing it. Yep. Uh, I actually had in my notes to um, explain to you. Let's see. I figured you did. That's why I asked. <clears throat> Said, little did you know, Dane, we experienced an <laughs> ASMR response watching Wonder Woman 84. Without spoiling the movie. When? Running, jumping. <laughs> oh, yeah. That part. Running and jumping? On the street. <laughs> I don't. I don't remember what you're talking about. Did I have a moment of, oh, man, that's awesome. No, yeah, it's the Gooseys. The Goosebumps? That's what I was about to yeah. say, yeah. Goosebumps is all is just ASMR. Whenever it's caused from a visual stimuli mixed visual. with audios. Like, okay. I've, the list that it can consist of yeah. is listening to a softly spoken whispering voice. Mm-hmm. Listening to quiet, repetitive sounds resulting from someone engaging in a mundane task, such as turning pages in a book. Watching somebody attentively execute a mundane task, such as preparing food. Loudly chewing, crunching, slurping, or biting foods, drinks, or gum. Mm -hmm. That one just makes me want to fight. That one is... (laughs) I don't know about that. That's not my type of ASMR. No, no. no, I want to fight some No kink shaming in it, but as far as it goes with me, if you're chewing gum or food next to me... But it's almost like nails on a chalkboard, though. Like, is that the same kind of response? Like, that kind of almost... Like, it can be a good response, but can it also be like a, oh, my God, I got to get out of here response? Is there anybody who has a good response to nails on a chalkboard? Well, that's what I'm saying. It's it's almost the same feeling you get. I mean, because yep. you, you have yep. kind of one of those when you pee, too. You know, a sometimes typical, you pee, you'll uh, get yeah, like one goosebumps. The, one of the yeah. other typical ASMR responses comes to uh, listening to tapping, typically nails onto surfaces, such as plastic, wood, paper, or metal. Mm-hmm. I've seen some things like this. Yeah, for me, uh, when, if people take their, you know, like the felt that like lines you the inside of a roof of, of your car. Oh yeah. If somebody takes their fingernails and scratches it, I will like lose it. I will have like yeah. a weird response. No, my brother is it. the same way, and he wants to get out of the car. Like, yeah. And I never knew like that was a thing with other people either. I thought that was just one of his weird things. So. But yeah, and one of the ones that I think make a lot of podcasts pretty wonderful to listen to is whenever they have good audio quality and when you have that good audio quality it is pleasing to the ears there is literally something that is pleasing to the ears to be able to sit through and you know allow your brain to experience these emotions i'm not saying that you're going to be listening to somebody's podcast unless it's actually intended to do that to you Mm -hmm. if you ever have that response to this podcast and you do not tell us somewhere, <laughs> I'm going to be upset. I'm calling I, the police. I need to know. I want to know. Did I bling? You pleasure. <laughs> you accidentally said bling. Yeah, and it found, and you it found its it own voice. With a weird <laughs> accent. You it, did really well. So, I'm pretty good at that. So, does yeah. that lady's book have anything to say about like why we have those types of responses? Uh, yes, it has to do with the note page that I have closed. Perfect. Find it. Search deep within your pages. Term from subjective experience from specific sounds and frequencies and visual stimuli that create a low-grade euphoria. Low-grade, yeah. Like just a sneaky... Actually, I think one of those for me is in movies where they cut the music and you just hear... Like you just hear what's happening in the scene without any music whatsoever, and usually there's not a lot of other sound beyond it. Uh, an example would be in uh, one of the episodes from Mandalorian in season two, where he pulls a maneuver where he like cuts the engine and turns around, does a 180, and then 
puts on the engines again and flies forward. Um, and they cut the music completely whenever this happens. So you just hear the sound of an engine and then it cut off and just wind like a soft wind. But there's this epic thing going on with this like super heavy, loud machine, but it's making no sound whatsoever. And then he cuts the engines back on and then flies forward. And it's just like, I don't know, goosebumps completely. And even if I, even if I weren't watching it, like I I still think like hearing all those sounds and then all of a sudden only hearing a few of them very softly. I think that is a perfect example because that, that because that was right in tune with what that frequency is that it takes to achieve that for you. Mm -hmm. And that was, that's awesome. Mm -hmm. And it exists. I guess I just always understood like get like chill bumps when it comes to not like like you're cold or something like it's yeah. actually something that stimulated you to have that response. I mean, because like it, animals have it too. Like when yeah, cats primates. get really puffy, yeah, it's like it's like a defense mechanism kind of. It's like to look bigger than you are because we don't have hair anymore, you know. But our ancestors had a lot more hair than we did, and it would like maybe stand. Have up. you seen that man's was, father's shirtless? I was about to defend my father. He is. <laughs> Some primates look at him and think, who is he trying to be? Yeah, I thought I was a hairy man until I seen his dad shirtless. Now I have goals. It makes so much more sense now. Like when I said that, both of y'all looked offended. Yeah. Like, <laughs> what is he saying? Like, yeah. like I'm just saying the most controversial thing. And well, it kind of took me aback for a second. Like, what did I just say? Well, next time next time you're around my father, I will uh I'll instruct him to show you his back. No, no, no. I want Marcus <laughs> just to, to look at him and say shoulder. <laughs> I want Marcus just to look at him and go, Hey, take your shirt. Show off. me your back, <laughs> you hairy man. He would be upset. I'm and doing a paper on why primates have this uh type of response to to uh, the hair, certain visual stimuli, the, the light touch of the back of the neck that causes the electricity to just go everywhere. You know that one. <laughs> That's actually in primates as well. They use that during grooming processes. It's also shown to de-stress them from whatever they. That's got like going softly on. touching, like the underside of your arm. Mm-hmm. Like you just sit there and just barely touch it, and then sometimes you notice you're doing it, and you look around. And you're like, "Has anybody noticed me? Like pleasuring my yeah, like pleasuring <laughs> my own arm here with this low grade stimuli." Um, but yeah, but we all do it. Everybody right? does. Everybody. Guys? Oh, some yeah. people. Guys? Some people have okay. it worse than others. Oh yeah. Yeah. I actually, I've been watching ASMR videos for a long time, mm-hmm. and I, one of my favorite YouTubers was My Cherry Crush. Mm-hmm. Um, she has kind of like elfin features, really pretty gal. And she's just, she's very good at what she does. And then in a meme group, I'm scrolling through one day and it had her picture and it said, if you know who this is, then we can be friends. And because you're weird like me and I'm like, ASMR is not weird. What are you talking about? So I went back to her videos to see if she's doing some weird stuff. And it's still all ASMR, and I'm like, I don't get it. But then I noticed in the bottom of the video, in like the lower third, she has a watermark for a website. Oh, no. And it's just her own website under her own name. Don't click on it, Tiny. I went to it. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> because if anybody anybody that knows me knows if I get curious, I'm not afraid to Google it. You're no. like a puppy. I will yeah. Google it, and I will, pro, I will look through <laughs> it and see what's there. Yes, she does make weird things. Austin, you went with puppy when he said he's curious? She has a video where she's a puppy. That's all I'm going to say about that. Well, the phrase the phrase is curious like a cat. 
That's why my friends call me whiskey. <laughs> I feel like I feel like you watched it too. <laughs> but oh, if the moon were good. made of cheese, would you eat it? So, so ASMR like that's something like because like, yeah. I've I've heard about it for not a long time. I know, like you said, it's not been a it's been a thing for forever, but it's not been recognized yeah. until like the early. Well, late 2000s. 2007-ish. Yeah. They started talking about it in medical forums, and then they started doing research into it, and and several different universities have actually had studies done to where they would have the different stimuli and different keys and different tones, different types, to see what kind of reactions they can get from the human body. Um, I mean, even negative, before this was considered ASMR, you could have, you know, um, uh, sound warfare. Uh, Like they would use music to play on repeat constantly to get people to surrender just to drive them insane or the brown note make you dookie your pants give you that <laughs> one theory. note that's a in trope. theory you right? know honestly the brown note is a theory it's a trope <laughs> yeah but we're not going to change the subject okay <laughs> no seriously though i can tell you what'll give you the brown note real quick and that is just drink you a can of kombucha Mm-mm. no if you got to get it cleared out you got to know why it's doing it. it's fermented horse urine and i'm not drinking it well better urine mm. than mine yeah, they can make sound weapons now. Like they, there's like these big things that they can project at crowds, and like everybody will just go prone. I mean, because yeah. it's it'll like have a physical effect on you. It's so, so loud. So sound and light have noticeable, even minute effects, even at the smallest levels. Cool, neat. Is it related any at all to like binaural beats? Yes. Oh, yeah. Okay, I figured there had to been some kind of correlation between the two. But yeah, that's it. I just I thought it was really cool. I've been kind of joking about it for a little bit. I mean, and I didn't even know that I was watching ASMR for a long time mm-hmm. because I would watch these videos of these people out in the middle of the woods, like just cooking. And I was always just intrigued by these videos of these people just out chopping wood, like chopping their stuff up on wood. And you just hear the click, 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 click of the of the steel blade against the wood. Mm-hmm. And, it, and I just thought it was a really pretty video. I'm like. Oh, shit. Yeah, that's ASMR. That's why I like this so much because this is relaxing and calming. Well, I mean, a lot of people have experienced it with Bob Ross because oh, the the soft God, way man. he speaks, plus the sound of his brush strokes, like on that whenever he's tapping that like his brush onto the uh, yeah. onto the canvas, it's just that you can hear the bristles like touching. I want to do that tonight. So I'm con- I'm a little confused though. If we have a couple more minutes to spend, oh on yeah, it. we do uh, yeah. because. We we kind of did establish earlier that there's two different. There's like a good and bad, right? Yes. Like response. So I don't know. I, I guess I'm just confused about that. Because, well, well, what it's saying cause is because you also mentioned that it's like like a euphoric, almost orgasmic type experience. True. So I don't know. It's but like, there but, is but can a, it also be just more mild than that? No, because it is a clause. So and not all these videos actually get you to that point. No. Okay. It's just their intended just different for different their people. intended purpose, basically. A okay. lot of time. Yeah, you seek them but, out. Like, right. Yeah. What, You're trying to get what that. you would be speaking about in the case of whether it is good or whether it is bad has to deal with what the actual uh, M in ASMR stands for, which is meridian. And that's going to be the peak or the climax or the ah, point okay. of the highest development. That could be in whatever response you would have from it. Right. That's so, just to the, each their own. Yep. Yeah. Okay. That clears it up for me. Fascinating. It is. It actually yeah. really is. I'm glad you enjoyed it. Thank yeah, you. I'm glad and you did now... too because because he you know told us to play this joke on you. I actually had to look up what it is. <laughs> <laughs> like, so I'm glad you did that because I'm just now learning all this. That's good. 
Tiny, how do you follow up uh, the ASMR I was segment to find a good way that to we've segue. been building for for 24 <laughs> episodes? <laughs> well, well, Rome wasn't built in a day. It wasn't. Okay, so... No! <laughs> okay, so I'm going to tell you about Plum Island and the Center for Animal Diseases. Whoa. Yeah. So, <laughs> let, let that tickle you. Well, so it wait, already did. Because... Center for or center of? Center for. Well, it, it, it's gone by a couple different names, but it's always animal diseases. Um, it's... <sighs> yeah. It, <laughs> I'm going to give you some mundane facts, and then we'll get to the fun stuff. <laughs> um, it's an island off the coast of Long Island, New York. Um, it's com- it's completely owned by the U.S. government and controlled by the Department for Homeland Security. Um, it started as a military base in 1954, and the goal was to protect America's livestock from foreign diseases. During the Cold War, a secret program was there that performed bio-warfare experiments targeting livestock. Um, it's the only place in the country where hoof and mouth disease is permitted to be studied because it's it's two miles off the coast. It's fairly isolated. So if something happens, in theory, it doesn't make it to the mainland. Um, the facility is a level three security clearance, although most activities there require a level four clearance, which is the highest. So top secret. So you can be there as a level three, but you can only access the facilities as a level four. Um, like a lot of the studies, you have to be okay. level four, gotcha. level four clearance. Yeah, yeah. Um, to get to the island, there's an intense search. You can't take anything from the island. And say if you work there and you take your lunch, and you like, well, there's a half a sandwich. I'll eat it on the ferry ride home. You cannot take it back from the island. <laughs> so <clears throat> there's that. Uh, most of the facility directors they had extensive backgrounds in military, bio warfare, and development. Um, it's home to a number of active microbes, um, including West Nile virus, Rift Valley fever, African swine flu, hoof and mouth, mad cow disease, and anthrax. And then there's a whole bunch more in the, in, in the fun portion. <laughs> uh, in 1991, Hurricane Bob disabled power to the island, allowing various diseases and viruses that had to be kept at sub-zero temperatures to actually thaw. And so that could possibly have led to some viral outbreaks that happened in the area. Nice. Imagine an invisible Jurassic Park. Yeah, pretty much. (laughs) Pretty much. That's what what we're looking at. Um, It was denied for a long time that that occurred. And then they come out years later and said, yeah, yeah, it happened. Um, In the 60s, bioweapons containing Ebola uh, were, in theory, developed and used against Cuba. So it's one reason why Cuba had such a problem with us during mm-hmm. that time. Eric Traub, he was a Nazi that was recruited by the government and brought to work on Plum Island. And he was the man that actually created Lyme disease. Oh, good idea. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Great. Um, the first case of Lyme disease was actually in Lyme, Connecticut, which was not very far from Long Island. Happened shortly after he got there. So you can take that as you will. Um, he was actually developing a tick bomb. Because he was really good at infecting ticks no. with various diseases. No. Yeah. A bomb that releases ticks that yes. like poisons everyone? That will bite you and give you whatever disease that he had chosen for it to be a carrier of. My, that's got to be in the Geneva Convention somewhere, right? Surely. Uh, you would think. What, I, when was this? 
uh, 60s. I hate that. I hate that. No, I, my Audi isn't yeah. any now. I'm inside myself. Blow. I'm so upset. <laughs> Blow me up before you do that. Yeah, Just we imagine. haven't even got to the real bad part, oh, but that, that's the bad, most realistic. Okay. And it is a fact that he worked there. Okay. That's worse than the vomit-filled mask I found in the parking lot of Food Line yesterday. This gets worse. <laughs> well, the Montauk Monster. I don't know if y'all know what that is. You didn't have to bring up. I'm sorry, Tony. He, he oh, didn't, he didn't have to. He didn't have to bring up the vomit mask. I mean, he didn't have to. It's one of the most it, disturbing it, things it, I've seen it ever. It costed him zero dollars <laughs> to I, not say it. I just want to know did. how much vom was in the mask. The mask was folded up bowl style. It had a little puddle inside of it, and it looked like it was chili and barbecue. Hmm. Did it smell like chili and barbecue? <coughs> <laughs> that was a real gag. That's great. <laughs> this concludes the ASMR portion of the episode. Did I just ASMR him? I think you did. We'll be right back after these messages. <laughs> Brought to you by Vomit Mask. <laughs> Okay, uh, the Montauk Monster was found in July of 2008 along one of the, the beaches there, roughly three miles from Plum Island. Um, at first, it was officially claimed to be a sea turtle without the shell, but if you know anything about turtles, the, the it's part of and everything body. is built into them. Yeah, That's, um, that is their body. They're not just like... Yeah, yeah. if you Google the picture, it's a very bizarre picture. Oh, yeah. Um, like it had a beak, claw-like fingers, a tail, fur. When was the last time you seen a furry turtle? I haven't. Well, um, I mean, <laughs> we'll talk about that later. Yeah, well, this will be in another uh, another podcast of ours where we'll talk about the furry I turtle. Say that, that is going like to be the turtle. name of our strip club. Boots and cats. <laughs> And then they tried to say it was a diseased dog and then also a raccoon. <laughs> but the thing was roughly six feet in length. A six-foot raccoon? Yeah, and it looks nothing like a raccoon. Like, it had a beak, it had claws, a weird squiggly tail. It was a very bizarre-looking thing. Is that from photos or I, I've only been drawings. able to find a couple of pictures pictures of it. Uh-huh. Um, and it looks pretty realistic to me. Like, like Tonka and Rosar off of, uh, or Razar, whatever his name was, off of kinda. Ninja Turtles 2. You know, the mama kind of turtle. Kind of, sort of, but it was four-legged. Oh. I mean, I've seen all the Ninja Turtles. Yeah, I don't know what you're talking about. I'll show you all a picture later. Thanks, bud. All you listeners at home, sorry. <laughs> Look at that. The snapping turtle baby that got infected with the ooze and became the giant turtle. Yeah. The face does look really similar, so there's teeth in there. I don't like that. Oh, one. yeah. Um, and then <laughs> turtle teeth. Um, the body did vanish uh, after a couple of days there, and two weeks later, another one washed up a couple miles down the shore. So they found two of these things, and they look pretty much identical. The last of um, their kind. The odd thing was, its death was caused by five symmetrical puncture wounds through the skull. So it so, wasn't something that naturally happened to kill it. Huh. Someone killed it and then yeah. ditched it and washed up on the shore. Both of them, actually. Or, hear him out, it was an alien life form trying to escape another alien life form, and they ended up on Earth, and this is where their life ended. 
Maybe, but there's another theory that's a little farther down in my notes. <laughs> Oddly enough, the Montauk monster did look like one of my ex-girlfriends. <laughs> I mean, crazy thing. I'm not going to name names, but you know who you are. <laughs> if you're listening. Furry turtle. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> that was her pet name. <laughs> On January 14th, 2010 at 4.15 p.m., that was that was driven in there by this one. On the southwest end of the island, um, a private security guard, because apparently there was a private security company doing security for the island, um, was doing a patrol, and he found a mutated human body that was roughly six foot two in height, had very long, elongated claw-like fingers. Um, like they were, he said, like three times the length of what fingers should be. Spooky. And there were claw like ends. I knew a guy like uh, that once. Did you? I did, actually. Well, <laughs> and it had a large build, like it would have been a really big dude. And it was also killed by five puncture wounds through the skull. Okay, he now tur- we're getting somewhere. Yeah. He turned it in to the police to investigate because, you know, legal things and there's a body. Um, they took DNA and fingerprints and all these things and they couldn't find any information about this body in any database. So mm. they're, so the theory is that they're doing, uh, experiments to make animal human hybrids because that's kind of what this thing looked like and kind of what the Montauk monster sort of looked like because there's some humanoid type features in places when you look at it, but they were killed by the same symmetrical five puncture wounds through the skull. If you're telling me that the future of 2021 depends on us, the chosen four (laughs) fighting (laughs) against an army of animal human hybrids. I'm so in, I'm in, I'm there (laughs) and I am in there like swimwear. Our first stop would have to be Lowe's, because that's the best apocalyptic weapon making facility. Apocalyptic sounds like a po- <laughs> sounds like a Pokemon. Well, I like, did say Pokemon. Like, like, hey, but no, this makes sense though. Because- I don't like it. I don't like it. <laughs> no, Pokemon. I like this. Let's go somewhere with that because human animal hybrids. If you've seen Pokemon over the last few generations, that's pretty much what they're going for. Truth. They're wanting to make you feel something when you look at them. Don't. No. Marcus, don't. I feel okay. like they're trying to normalize it. <laughs> so when they introduce them into society, Exactly. We want they want us to get to the point where we breed with them. They become normal contributing members of society. Yes. And then they take us over from within. Correct. Or without, depending if they're male or female. My little pony, my little pony. Friendship is magic. I mean, look at Mr. Mime. That's a that's an animal human hybrid. I don't I know what animal other than a demon. <laughs> like I mean, mimes, they're demons in disguise, I'm pretty sure. Well, I know, but uh, I'm just saying, you're a poke-apocalyptic, yes, while, while uh, a mistake, yeah. not a mistake at right. all. I think you're on to more than what you no. thought. How are you trapped in an invisible box, sir? I'm trying to help you, and somehow I can reach through, but you can't. That just means you've got to go face these two trainers that are hiding out in this back room, and then you, once you beat them, then you'll move along a few spaces, and you got to do it all over again. But this time, they're in the window. He watched me play the other day, so he's just recapping what happened there. Gotcha. So there's an island, and scientists are making human animals. Hybrids, yes. Do you think it's... In diseases. Right. Do you, think it's clo- do you think it's like cloned DNA, like mixed DNA from nothing to creation of the beast? Or do you think it's like already existing, like 
a, a human and I think an animal. It, I think it's like gene splicing because mm-hmm. they're also de- they actually you know you can actually see it. They're developing um, genetic things like to make cows more um, resistant to various bacteria mm-hmm. and diseases and stuff. So they do a lot of good things, and then they become the then there's race. the dark part where like Lyme disease and tick bombs. Uh, tick bomb. Get in the way. Get it. I tick. mean, I've ha- I have Lyme disease in my body still because once you get it, it doesn't go away, and I've had it, and now it lies dormant, like like a demon in your body that it can explode at any moment, and you can possibly get Bell's palsy from it. I gotta get out of here. I know. I gotta leave. I gotta go <laughs> again. Oh. I know, and it's in me because of this Nazi. That they recruited to work on this island. So you're telling me that they actually could have made a furry turtle man superhero on this island? Absolutely. Because I don't know. If it, it would fight like it, for good. Do you think it would fight for good? I don't know. I don't, I don't it, know. it depends how you raise it, uh, I feel like. Well, it's nurture or nature, man. I mean, the nature of something like this... I don't know if there's going to be much good there because if I were created this way, I think I would spend my the eternity. It's not a penis. <laughs> he had to say that for me to even look at his phone. Yeah, yeah, that, that's the Montauk monster, I have the one that's washed up on the beach. Not that is a freaky not the thing. not the you know right weird well, body the, the, found the on the human island. hybrid thing. Well, that's what I was uh, saying. This all I'm sounds a lot like kind of like an Area 51 type kind of conspiracy theory. So, yeah. but you're telling me some of this is like actually like. Confirmed? Yeah. Like, see, look at the face on that boy. That is freaky. I don't Man, like it. I don't like it either. I'm not a fan of that. That no. had a beak. If that was near me, and I wouldn't be a happy person. Beak. I would have a, one of the negative responses. Yeah. See? Like, if you were created like this, you would spend the rest of eternity trying to eliminate those that did it to you, right? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Because you wouldn't want someone else to go through yeah. it. Yeah. I'm not going to be a furry turtle superhero. I'm going to be a no. furry turtle. But what Even if they managed to give you like a benefit? You know, like wings that would allow you to fly. Um, oppo- not opposable thumbs. <laughs> 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 That's what I was about to say. And I'm like, wait, I've got if that. Only, what if they like, gave you only a, they could do a, it. a secondary opposable thumb? <laughs> A giant wang, you know, something that would actually benefit <laughs> you and the rest of society. You already said you would get okay those to with fly it. with. <laughs> no, I was, no wings. I was thinking, <laughs> what if you could choose your animal to be the hybrid of? Like, what would you think you'd? What would you think you'd choose on that? If if I were a hybrid with an animal, yeah. Oh man, I mean, do mythical creatures count? Yeah, I mean, I was going to go with a classic minotaur. I was going dragon. Dragon. Mm. I mean, how would you hybridize a dragon? It's just a giant lizard. Falcon. I mean, they've done it. I mean, no judgment, but I mean, I was just curious. No, I mean, it's it's an established thing. Like, you know, dragonborn. Well, yeah. Okay, okay. I'm tracking now. Falcon. No, we got to go Falcon. Falcon? Falcon. Falcons are pretty cool. I'd go Falcon. It'd make me a little bit smaller, lighter, quicker, stronger. Hollow bones. I'd just be (laughs) Spider-Man. I know it's boring. I mean, but I'd be... I'd be Spider-Man. Yeah, I think honestly, I, I, think I speak for the whole group when I say I don't think that counts. It counts. If you're thinking of like... Frogman, your, fine. Your, your genes okay, being... Sp- the Frogman lives, okay? He's back. Frogman <laughs> And I am the Frogman. But what would you jump? Would Toad. you jump 50? <laughs> I am the Frogman. What? Would you jump 50? 
Of course. Look at, the frog man look at me. Look at me. The Frogman still yeah. jumps 50. I, th- I think since Dane is smaller than the previous Frogman discussed, he could probably jump 55 to 60. Thank you. That's so nice. Thank you. You seem more aerodynamic. I am. You should watch me soar into Marcus's topic. Oh. How about that? That was, you guys was like beautiful. That? Is that good? Thanks. That's pretty good. Thank you, bud. Well, I said a dragon, and we all know. Actually, Tiny, you told me, yep. Austin told me that you, Tiny, had seen only one episode of Game of Thrones, and it was this one that I'm about to talk about. I was in the entirety of the first episode. Oh. So you was the wrong episode. <laughs> yes. Okay. You're doesn't really matter. <laughs> Ready for it the really spoil. doesn't. I was just actually going to try to get an outside right. perspective pretty much uh, of somebody who had maybe just, you know, seen a little bit of it and just, you know, like a, a ca- more casual fan's perspective of what happened with Daenerys at the end of Game mm-hmm. of Thrones. Well, I think with with me and Austin not reading the books, mm-hmm. we I would consider us more casual Game of Thrones fans because right. of how limited the show is compared to what the books offer yeah so would you consider that more of a well i mean i don't know any more than, than any i don't know any more than you oh, do that's about right it. because the books aren't caught up with yeah that the books are now i mean i've it. read half the first book <laughs> it's really really all i was trying to do is try to get somebody to kind of just summarize like daenerys's what happened to her at the end of that story you know she was this young girl her father was crazy Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, abusive, and her brother ended up being crazy and abusive, and so she kind of had to deal with all that. She was married off to some Dothraki guy who ended up falling in love with, and then you know While she starts she to 13. rise in power, right? And then she has these dragon eggs that she was given to, and somehow through some weird freaky magic ritual, she bound herself to these like fossilized dragon eggs, became actual dragon eggs, and she birthed three dragons, and they were basically her children. She loved them, you know. She ended slavery in like a whole other continent. Uh, I don't know. You I mean most people kind of know the story, but just at the end, how they just did this heel face turn and just made her like literally the villain of of the last few episodes of the like the last two episodes. And so, really, I just wanted somebody's perspective on how that went down. Just because I have been watching this guy on YouTube. His name's The Dragon Demands. Mm-hmm. He's like. His his channel is kind of like completely dedicated to just trashing D and D. The guys that wrote, you know, most of this stuff, and he does some like pretty intense research, like behind the scenes kind of research. I mean, he gets cop- uh, copies of like the scripts and has have gone over them, and he is wanting to say that that was not the original ending for her character. That mm-hmm. they wrote that really really late in the game, actually even changed some things. To make that new ending, to make her like way worse off than she was. Hmm. Did they feel like she just wasn't a big enough quote unquote enemy by the end of it? Like I, I don't know because I don't know what they were at thinking. that point they've already like they're done with the Night King and that that whole thing's over with. Like it kind of didn't go anywhere. I mean, there was a lot of destruction up until the point of of the ending of the Night King and his reign. But once he was gone, I felt I feel like they were like, okay, the big bad is gone, and now we just kind of have these like government agencies that are you know like like Cersei and things like that that are they're evil in their own way, but nothing compared to what the Night King brings. And they're like, well, we got this girl with dragons, let's turn her into this just burning down the city lady. When this in, the rest of the entire story has been about her setting free those that aren't guilty, you know it. In my my best guess 
would be that they just went with like a fan theory, like kind of some kind of a crackpot fan theory or something like that. You know, it, like a fan fiction kind yeah. of. I mean, cause it's not really their fault. They had to end it, you know, but I just, I, I really disagree. A lot of people disagreed with that. I mean, just think about how many people looked up to her. Anyway, I'm not really trying to make it about how much I didn't like that. Yeah. I was really just trying to frame the conversation because uh, this guy on YouTube. Um, you from, from what I heard, yeah. um, they asked George R.R. R. Martin, like, what are we supposed to do with the ending? Mm-hmm. And he said, here's what's supposed to happen. Mm-hmm. How you get there is how you get there. That may or may not be how it happens in the book, but A, B, and C is what is supposed to happen. Yeah. So it another. might be part of that. I imagine he gave them bullet the points. Yeah. The, right. They would need another at least season or season and a half to, to establish the fact of how she's going to change now. Like right. it, that needed to happen. Mm-hmm. That something with with the lines of a gradual, slow progression and her like a struggle of that. I mean, maybe not that long, but something. Not yeah. three, four episodes, and then all of a sudden she's she's the big baddie. Right. Yeah. I mean, because it's, it's established she was. I think we've talked about about just briefly on the podcast before, but you know, yeah. it showed that she was ruthless, but never like Cold. mass murderous genocide. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but. You know, and maybe it's just me wishful thinking, hoping that the books are going to come out and it not be quite that bad. But this guy's trying to point to this, like, you know, these three points of evidence, basically, is what I'm wanting to talk about. That Amelia Clark did not know, like, the the extent of the destruction that she, her character caused, even while filming it, because she filmed it all on a green screen. Green screen, yeah. Every bit of it was on green screen. The script was also suspiciously vague when it came to stuff like this and um there are connections with some sort of wildfire explosion that they originally filmed it for and there's even like um concept art like official concept art of that last battle with the whole city in green flames right because her father which we mentioned the abusive father had stashed a network of wildfire throughout the city mm-hmm. in case he needed to blow out the entire city one day. And in earlier season, like we saw, we saw that. Used. We saw Cersei like, do Cersei that. Did a it. little bit of it though. Yeah. That was only just one little right. thing. Um, and we saw how explosive and devastating that was. Oh yeah. And in that episode where Daenerys is literally like strafing the, every single street back and forth, like it was horrifying yeah. watching it. Yeah, I mean it's horrific. It really is because yeah. it's taken this character that you've grown to love, you know, and you, you've you've seen her struggle. You know that she's got some screwed up stuff happening, you know, in her brain. But you just hope that she's the Targaryen that is able to slip, the, you know, slip the crazy noose. Yeah. But the it'd be fine if she didn't slip the crazy noose. I get it. She had a fifty fifty shot. But, yeah, well, that's what they said. The gods flip a coin when a when a Targaryen is born, or yeah, something like that. Exactly. Mm-hmm. But you know, it's it's just why didn't they just elongate it? That's part of all the, it needed. Part of the evidence that Amelia Clark did not know the the extent that they were going with with her character is what kind of what you just said. She said about it when she's talking about this scene because the way she's talking about it, it seems a lot like when she heard the bells and seen that she had won the war. She looks up to the Red Keep and she's just rage over fills her or whatever and then she has to go kill her that's what Emilio's words were i need to go kill her and like the way just the way she talks about it does not make it seem like she understood it and that these are yeah. like uh 
on the Blu-ray extras and stuff. And also, there are some of the uh, commentaries mm-hmm. with her and the writers where they like are, keep cutting her off. Like she's trying to she's trying to like you know uh, justify her character. It seems like you can tell that she's like trying to come to terms with the character she's been playing for almost 10 years. Oh yeah. She put years of her life into this right. thing and for it to end like that and everyone be so upset about it. And I know like Austin, you mentioned like we wanted her to not be this, but that doesn't always make for a bad story when something that you don't want to happen happens. No, exactly. That's right. why I said, no. even though that's it's, not what I wanted to happen, you needed to draw out that transformation to show a transformation. Like, right. the, is it beyond her character scope to annihilate masses of people? No, she did I it in the so. past. I think in the the, um, the amount of innocence, the images that we saw on the show to me were absolutely not that well, that well, the, not the, in that quickly. The You'd have to show of, that she's actually crazy. Yeah, that's we've the never thing. seen her be crazy. Like the amount of innocence that she destroyed during all of that didn't didn't fit the character mold at all for what she had. It was a complete offshoot of that in a more extreme angle that has nothing to do with who she was currently before right. that situation. Right. The bells ring, I'm going to kill everybody, right. bells, bells. That's all it was. Yeah. Right, right, right. But yeah, so like basically the script, because they submit these things to like Emmys and things for people to review, you know, and, and for history's purposes, you know, so there are copies of these scripts that are like preserved. Yeah. And uh, so the script for this episode you know, is with Cersei. She's looking out her window. You know, they did a couple episodes before this establish this idea of a human shields. So, like, Cersei is like bringing people into the Red Keep just so if Daenerys attacks the Red Keep, she's going to look like a, t- you know, someone who's okay with mass murder. So, it does kind of set up the idea of human shields. And, you know, as far as the way Emilia Clark is talking in the commentaries and in her little interviews from, uh, the inside the episodes, you know, that they would play after one. One of them called The Mad Queen that HBO completely tried to hide after the fact of the show. Did not want this released at all. Titled The Mad Queen. And she is saying these things. Like, she even says, she went so far to say that she was not aware when she's filming the scene in the throne room with Kit Harrington, mm-hmm. and he's acting so devastated. She said even at that moment she was not aware. Of what she had just of done? Of why he was so upset. Yeah. Why is your character having so much trouble with my character right now like you yeah, know because she had to be weird right and if you read the script because i mean you can there's like little sections of it you can actually read and you and you try to put yourself in her head without having seen those visuals because she was actually told not to wa- look at the storyboards and not to look at any pre-visualizations of it and if you read the script it's vague it's just vague enough to make it seem like yes there are these human shields yes she does attack the red keep even though they're human shields and you know she's getting civilians and Lannister soldiers in same the same swoops but it's it's just vague enough to like keep it kind of secret that you know cuz they were showing like women holding babies and stuff and then yeah. just getting exploded oh, yeah. out of nowhere and she could have avoided the entirety of the city and went straight for the red key exactly and, and that's, that's one of the biggest things that goes against what the writers have to say about it Mm-hmm. So it's like that's this one thing. There's two different stories. There's the writers and what they say about it, and then there's the actress who played it, who was told not to look at the visuals, mm-hmm. and the script was just vague enough to seem like yeah, she that's that ruthless Targaryenness, and it was a controversial move. But this is war, you know. It was, it, it was definitely morally gray, 
you know, but it's but still her roasting not the entire streets, that's strafing not, back and forth. The red keeps yeah. way over here, yeah. honey. You're, make, you're it, way. It makes no sense. There's no grayness. No There's no moral gray area. And there. so that's what uh, the script mentions: Cersei standing outside her window, yeah, and green flames exploding throughout the city. So that maybe Daenerys, you know, as she's attacking the army, right? Not innocents. Yeah. It was a trap set triggers to make it the look wildfire, like that. Yeah. and that literally there's concept art of green explosions, but they that, just painted it all orange that, that and just makes made me her cry. They turned her at the last minute, like so at some point during season seven, they were right in season eight, and they get ready to start filming season eight, and then some at some point, no, we got to make her just destroy King's Landing. I, I really think that it's because they didn't feel like they had a quote unquote badass enough villain in that moment. Like, I don't know. I mean, I think they loved Lena Headey as Cersei. I think they loved her. Oh, she was great. Yeah, but she didn't have like that. I don't know. She was just like sneaky evil. You know, she did like sly things like behind people's backs and behind the the curtain. Yeah, she was a uh, schemer. manipulator. Yeah, yeah, a schemer, a schemer and mm-hmm. things like. And that's not. It's not exciting for every. Well, I mean, and I just go back to what they said about what they wanted to do with Star Wars whenever they were given the rights to make it and then stripped away after their bomb of an eighth season of Game of Thrones, but how they wanted to make things more for for more people to enjoy it instead of just people who are fans of this genre. Mm-hmm. What uh, football players and moms was I think was yes. it? I don't know if that I just heard that I never saw. I a think quote. I told you that on the podcast. Y- yeah, 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 and, and I yeah. and I'd heard about it before, but I didn't know if it was a quote. Or yeah, it's like it's a quote. It's an and, actual and quote. Pe- a lot of, of people made fun of them for this quote too. A okay, lot of people. good because yeah. it's stupid. Yeah, like there are tons of football players and moms who love Star Wars, mm-hmm. but and I hate to be that you know because I'm sure they're feeling a lot of pressure you know from in their oh, careers yeah. based on that. But this was their big break. I mean, they had never done TV before. No. Uh, and they ended up just having the biggest show of all time. Yeah. So, you know, I can only be so easy on them. Right. You know, uh, but, yeah, it's it's pretty clear that... And what you were saying, too, earlier about the actress not even knowing why the uh, why Kit was, like, his name Kit? Or Kit, Kit Harrington, Kit, yeah. Kit Harrington. Johnson, Kit yeah. Harrington, yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, Amelia didn't know why Kit's character was so upset and to me, that disconnect was definitely in that scene. Yeah. I absolutely hated her death scene. It was the most anticlimactic, like not even good dialogue, like not even a good character sense. They the actors a different character completely. Yeah, the yeah. actor and actress were there, but the characters were not. Yeah. Yeah. I, I feel like that a lot of the people who really, really love Game of Thrones thought that a lot of that in the last two seasons especially. For sure. Like the, the characters were gone. These yeah. and, and and that's another thing. Like Go check out the Dragon Demands if y'all want more of this like mad Game of Thrones fan. Like you know, I mean, he he's he does a lot of good research. All of this was his stuff, his ideas. Um, you know, he like I said, he's dedicated to going out and finding all these details about that. But what what was it you just said? Because he has a video about that too. About what the characters being gone? Okay, and, oh, like and that's the, because like that, they have yeah. been say they've been known to say that they actually write based on the characters or the actors' strengths. So they will write the characters' parts. Based on oh, we really like Arya or Maisie Williams, you know. Yeah. Uh, so we're gonna write for Maisie, not Arya. Yeah. Like your job is to write for the character. Yeah, you hired the You're actress, a screenwriter. To... Yeah. And you hired the actress to play that character, not to play the actress. You don't write for the. Actor, I love right. screenwriter. Unless you're just unless you, gonna, yeah, well, yeah. Unless you have them in mind before you but even these are start the whole thing. Characters yeah, from exactly. a, a from an established work, right? So it's just yeah, they've been caught saying a lot of things. 
if you're interested, the dragon demands. The dragon he, demands. He will rip them up probably from now until he's gone. <laughs> Good. Yeah. Mike. I feel like the same writers are the ones that wrote the Dark Tower based on what you're saying. <laughs> I, I don't think they've done it. I think the reason they rushed through the last of Game of Thrones was to get onto other things. Mm-hmm. So I don't think they've really written anything besides Why Game of Thrones. I was, I was just kind of making a I think they've maybe written some, some novels. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I just, yeah. I, I don't understand how you take the, the biggest TV series of all time, just of all time, Game of Thrones. Of was, all time. Of all time. And you don't put enough heart into it to make something of quality when you have so much quality already there and mm-hmm. direct communication with the man that's writing this whole story, mm-hmm. like in his books. You have direct communication with him to where you can run everything by him and go, does this make sense for the story for these characters? And if he says yes and you do it and everyone's pissed, that's his fault. <laughs> like, that's George's fault. And you can completely. And it's also his fault for not having him. the books done too. Oh, absolutely. That's just my opinion. You have plenty of I time. love George, though. I love George. Yeah. But yeah, that's that's the kind of rabbit holes I'll find myself in sometimes, yeah. if anybody was ever curious. That's like my idea of a conspiracy theory is, Dan and Dave changed it at the last minute, Dad coming. <laughs> they ruined my Khaleesi. What did you say? Khaleesi. Not my Khaleesi. I hope it wasn't my Khaleesi. What uh, did you say that YouTuber's name was again? The so, Dragon Demands. The Dragon Demands. Yes. Cool. Credit where credit is due. Oh my gosh, he's great. Uh, you know what else is great? Pinball. I don't know. It's way. It's way off from what you were talking about. But I just want to talk about. That's what we do on, on this show. That is true. Four random, random. topics, y'all. Don't expect any yeah. cohesion. It's so random. We don't even say random before. I feel like they all tied together quite beautifully so Until far. Until me, pinball. Let me just pin this off you guys real quick. Hey, what? there is a connection. Don't. There is because Game of Thrones is just a bunch of knocking balls most of the time. <laughs> I thought she was going to say wow, pleasing wow. sounds to induce a response. <laughs> yeah, me too. Oh. There's a uh, there's a place in Chattanooga, and it's called like the Pinball Museum. And you can go there and get a pass for all day. And they have pinball machines from all through the ages, like from like current made in the past few years all the way back until like the 70s. And it's awesome like to go in there and spend the entire day playing pinball. I mean, you can't do it right now because it's kind of, you know, hands-on things with small spaces and groups of people. Uh, but whenever uh, whenever things get back to not being this way, uh, I really suggest going to Chattanooga, uh, Tennessee, and going to this place or finding another cool pinball place. But anyway, I want to talk about kind of the history of pinball and, and things like that and just run through that with you real quick because I'm sure you've played it before, but you might not know where it comes from. Uh, the ancestors of pinball are actually bocce ball and croquet, like because uh, the the idea of using balls to get through small obstacles or or near other obstacles and bouncing them off other obstacles like goes all the way back to that in uh, yard games uh, and also things like uh, billiards, bowling, and shuffleboard too, because they wanted to take these things like croquet and, and bocce ball and bring them indoors. So that's where we got uh, those other games that you know you commonly see in like bars and things like that, which is also where you find pinball machines sometimes too. Uh, in France, in the mid late in smack that mouth. <laughs> yes, so good. I'm not even going to take that one out. <clears throat> in France, in the mid he's going to go to France. Why can't I do this? 
in France in the mid late 1600s, billiards tables they uh, they narrowed and the pegs were placed as obstacles, like there were pegs placed on the board uh, because I guess they were getting bored of playing billiards. I've seen, I've seen pool tables like that. They have those little like yeah, those little bumpers in the middle. Yeah, There's like different games. It's called yeah. uh, bagatelle or. Hmm. Bagatelle, I don't know how to pronounce it, but I think it's Bagatelle. Yeah. Um, and in the late 1700s, uh, the table was tilted and a coiled spring and a plunger was put at the bottom. So uh, it shot the balls up into holes for points. So instead of you being on a flat table, like a flat billiards table that's been made thinner and, and actually hitting the ball with a cue... Uh, to try to get through these pegs to get to the holes on the other end, they took out the cue altogether and made it tilted with a with a spring and a little plunger at the bottom. Just use gravity. How do you, how do you yeah. get a ball with gravity. a letter? I'm sorry? How do you get a ball with a letter? I'm sorry? How do you hit a ball with a letter? That is a cue joke, and I thank you for it. And it's about the, time you participated. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, in 1871, a British inventor, Montague Redgrave, uh, he improved that spring and uh, he made it smaller. Like he made the board to like fit on a bar top. Like so he shrunk it down, like way down. And the ball was replaced with marbles and uh, the wooden pegs that were on the board were turned to metal. So it slowly became like more of a pinball machine that we are familiar with. Kind that of. guy's name. Kind of. What Montague it? Redgrave? Oh, yeah. That's he so is awesome. one of Sherlock's arch nemesis. <laughs> well, I was just going to say, like, he has to be a character in something. It has to be. My dear Watson. <laughs> in, uh, in the 30s, uh, they became coin-operated because they were like, hey, we could probably make some money off this stupid little thing. Uh, and that actually led to gambling as well later nice. on. But I'll get into that because that gets kind of fun. Uh, and they also put the board under glass and used uh, the, the spring-loaded plunger. Like it was before, it was, it was a weaker spring and it was a little bit different than this, but they improved it. Uh, and but it still had no paddles yet. So in the 30s, we still didn't have the the machines that we're familiar with to be able to actually control the ball more than just okay, how hard do I pull the spring back? Which is still part of the game, like because depending on how hard you pull it back is how hard it's going to enter the table. Uh, in 31, uh, David Gottlieb. Uh, if you know anything about pinball, Gottlieb is like the biggest name in pinball ever. Uh, between him and Bali, like those are the two big ones. Gottlieb created Baffle Ball, uh, which was a pin game, and it was the first hit of coin-operated games, like of these pin games. They didn't call it pinball yet, uh, but it sold for seventeen fifty. Like the the game itself sold for that, which I, I think I looked it up. It was it was a little under three hundred dollars for the table now, which would be stupid cheap for a pinball table because it costs like over a grand to be able to get a pinball machine now, and to work on them is insane because the mechanics in it are very delicate. And you've got to get someone that really knows what they're doing to work on it too. So it's it's you're going to be spending some money if you get a pinball machine. But I still want one, anyway. <laughs> uh, and for one penny, you got like five to seven balls, and it was cheap entertainment during the Great Depression. So like people were like getting into pinball like this, and that made it soar and got really really popular because it was one of the few ways of them being able to entertain themselves during the the worst time of their lives possible. Uh, Baffle Ball sold over 50,000 units 
and Gottlieb became the first major pinball manufacturer, like ever, of all time, and is still a big name in it now because they've got like digital versions of pinball that are named after Gottlieb, like it's Gottlieb pinball and and a bunch of different play like ways to play it digitally. In 1932, Gottlieb. Uh, distributor Raymond Maloney. Uh, he couldn't meet demand. No, 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 none at all. Baloney? Is that what you're mm. talking about? No. Okay. I mean, we have the same first names, but oh, no geez. relation. <laughs> I forget. I thought that for a second. Might be I a cousin. I thought you were talking about another Raymond. So this dude was their distributor, but he couldn't make enough of the tables like to get them out of this exact one. Like He just could not make enough of them. He didn't like get enough parts, enough pieces to do it because they were selling so many of them. So he made his own company out of, out of things he could acquire. Uh, and he named it Bali. Uh, and the game was called Bali who. So, uh, Bali who actually was a success and it sold 50,000 units in just seven months. So that's a lot of pinball tables in a short amount of time. But I don't know. I guess I'm guessing he probably took some ideas from the Gottlieb stuff and implemented into his own, which I think was probably a sketchy situation. But I didn't look into any kind of like legal things that went on there. Uh, in '33, electronic parts were introduced to it. You got lights. Uh, the there's a, a bonus hole. Go ahead, Austin. Laugh. That's for you. Go ahead. There you, there you go, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> love a good bo- love a good bonus hole uh and the uh you the can't ball put me in a box no <laughs> you can't put me in a box or a bonus <laughs> hole <laughs> no, it's funny. and i'm pretty uh, sure we can find a big enough box to put you in <laughs> oh no that's a threat <laughs> it was the promise of a good time i will asmr the crap out of you when you're in that box <laughs> Oh, no. we got to get through this pinball so we can get in this box. Uh, they added bells to the machine, too, to quote-unquote reward the player, which Ooh. actually does work. I mean, when you hear certain sounds when playing a game, you just get that little endorphin rush uh, to it. So it works. They knew what they were doing. Uh, in 1932, there were 150 companies making pinball machines. And by 1934, just two years later, only 14 remained. So either they were bought out by one another or the competition was so steep, like they just they just couldn't keep up. So from 150 to 14 in two-year span, which is insane. Uh, in 1947, Gottlieb introduced flippers for the first time. So the freaking tables that we know, like that we are familiar with, are from what, the late 1800s. And we didn't get flippers until 47, like 1947. That's so you crazy. just shot the ball. That's and crazy. Just yeah, it. you just shot the ball. Like there, there was no. That's like, like lame, dude. You got to have the flippers. Yeah. Well, there was no skill factor in it. It, no, it, was, no, just, it was just you just shot up there and let it go, which is why like a lot of people were using it like for gambling because it was pure chance, wow. like what was going to happen. So they ended up making a lot of money off of you because I mean they could rig the spring to where it's just not going to hit it quite hard enough to be able to get to the bonus hole. Sounds like a, car- a the carnival game. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's more the more or less what it was. That's the connection. The bells. Sorry. Go oh, okay. Ahead. No, you're fine. She'll uh, burn the city down. <laughs> She'll burn it down. In the 1970s, uh, we get the pinball machines we're most accustomed to, uh, with the glass top, metal frames, uh, lights, scores, flippers, all all the stuff. So from the late 1800s, it took them all the way up to the 1970s to actually have what we are familiar with. Uh, and in the late 80s, video games were killing off pinball. 
uh, which makes sense because everybody was able to have all these things in their home and then arcade machines also. Uh, if you put a kid in a room and say, okay, here is a machine to where you can hit a button and these flippers shoot a ball into holes, or you can jump around and shoot things and hop on top of little, uh, what are Goombas? I don't know. They look like mushrooms, but they're not mushrooms. Hop on what? What's a Goomba? It's a mushroom. Is a Goomba a mushroom? No, the Goombas are the... They're the little brown the uh, little brown looking mushrooms. Yeah, they're mushrooms. It's, are the mushroom, they? it's the mushroom kingdom. Right. Okay. Don't be Duh. ignorant. Well, I'm just... Okay. Anyway, so video games were going to kill off pinball. Like it was... It, so it that's was why just, they like slapped Star Wars and stuff onto them? Oh, yeah. And yeah, Kiss. because... Kiss was on top. Kiss. Kiss. Oh, oh, plenty of Kiss. Uh, ah. The Adams Family was actually the most... Like the highest grossing selling pinball machine ever which is strange because that, that doesn't seem weird. yeah that doesn't seem but it was actually a good game like and they Maybe did that's they, what it was yeah and they started developing the best pinball board okay. well, it, it was a multi-tiered one too yes. i love multi-tiered pinball well that's that's something people don't realize about pinball as well is they they can have like story missions in pinball to where you have to do certain things in certain orders in the game and the table itself can introduce like new aspects like for you to to interact with as you're playing this game, as you're getting these higher scores and hitting certain obstacles. Like the game can be like as in depth as as a short video game, honestly, but it takes a whole lot more skill and a lot of luck to be able to get through it. Uh, so it's pretty cool. But uh, there was also the video game crash of 1983. Uh, there were too many companies making too many games and they just, they couldn't meet demand and PCs like, home personal computers were starting to get big so people stopped like really getting on the video game train but that didn't last very long uh but while that was while video game sales were down pinball started to shoot back up uh but then video games started to work their way back up again and pinball started to go down again so it's been it was a back and forth situation and i think it always will be because we get this craving for analog after we've had digital for so long that's why we're seeing in the past few years like vinyl sales, like vinyl records sales are going up again because people are getting bored with MP3s. Like I know it's super easy and Spotify is really easy, but people want something tactile. They they want to feel something and listen to it and and some nostalgia factors. Even where vinyls weren't really popular when we were kids, but we still have this nostalgic factor to it because it's something that's so loved uh, from before our time. So I know I love my collection of them, and it's fun. Yeah, but. I mean, it, it, it's great sometimes to be able to step away from the screen. Oh, yeah. I mean, I am very thankful that Al Gore invented the internet to allow <laughs> us to learn information and <laughs> play <you> games <laughs> and share things back and forth and cat videos. But it, it it's so nice to just disconnect and do something just totally different. Just whack balls around. Just whack paddle. balls around. Heaven forbid like a heathen. I am away from my cellular device for more than a few hours a day because there will be 14 missed calls. People will think something's wrong. Why aren't you answering your phone? All I want to do is just be in a room with a pinball machine. With a pinball machine. Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. Oh, yeah. Frankenstein's a good one. Haunted House is another really, really good one. There's there's so many that I just... When I went to the pinball museum, I, I was there... Like, Carly and I went for... I don't know, we were there for six hours and we still like when we left, we we weren't done. Like we we wanted to keep playing. Like it it's crazy this like addiction that you get whenever you're in there playing it because there'll be some runs to where you 
like just run straight through all the balls and you don't get hardly anything. <laughs> and then there are others, thanks. There are others that you just, your score keeps climbing and you get to this point like, man, I feel like I can beat that. But there's so much luck involved with it too that it's, it's hard. Um, the last and most interesting thing about pinball, which I should have just made the whole segment about because I don't know how many of you actually wanted a history lesson, but pinball was banned and made illegal in New York from the 1940s to 1976. You could not own a pinball machine in New York from that time. Why? Because the mayor at that time, like early on, Mayor Fiorello LaGuardia, uh, he said that it was robbing kids of hard-earned nickels. And he, along with the police, went around destroying them with sledgehammers oh and throwing God. the parts into the river. Like sounds like a real d bag. Yeah, a super d bag. It's not nice. Ima- imagine hating pinball so much that you make it illegal and you get the police to help you destroy it. I don't hate anything that much. No, I mean it just kind of sounds like the government. Yeah, it sounds like re- yeah, it sounds like you know happens all the time. Sounds like he was a real mask full of vomit. <laughs> yeah. Oh jeez. But we do have a savior for pinball. Oh, no, you got him. It's, it's his own fault. If he didn't share the story, we wouldn't be attacking him with it. I know, and I love it. I, feel I like usually just make women lost it just then. Yeah, I was close. If you, wow. We drove by the parking lot, and Trudy looked to see if it was still there. Engage the tea kettle. <laughs> Y'all nasty. Uh, do you want to know about the savior of pinball in, in New York, at least? Uh, his name was Roger Sharp, and he went to court arguing uh, that the games were about skill and not about gambling at all. And he's like, no, it's a skill-based game. So he set up a pinball machine in court, and he played a couple games. And in one of those games, he said he like bet like Babe Ruth calling a home run. He uh, called a shot, like a, a very difficult like thing to do on the board, and he hit it perfectly. And they decided, well, he's got a point. So then they decided to lift the ban on pinball machines, saying that it was a game of skill instead of luck. Uh, and later on, after he was interviewed about that whole thing, he said, oh, no, that was totally a lucky shot. He's <laughs> like, like, I have no idea how I hit that. And uh that's that's just it really was cool. To be. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Have never the pinball gods that. just said it was no, going to yeah. happen. He sure played a mean <laughs> pinball. I knew it was going to happen I, at some no, point. Yeah, I, 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 I made the notes of that. And, and it's it, they, that song was actually made to make that album. The album was by The Who in 1969 called Timmy? Tommy? Tommy. I think the album's called Tommy. Uh-huh. Is it Timmy? Timmy, Tommy, too. Is it is it Timmy or Tommy? Tommy, Tommy, two-tone. No. Thomas. Hold on. Eight, I think it's six, Tommy. Seven, is it Timmy? Five. The name of the Thomas. album is Tommy. I was right. Told you. In 1969, by the Who, uh, they made the song Pinball Wizard uh, to kind of cut up the the that whole album had like a spiritual like overtone to it, and they wanted something that was just completely like off from all of that and kind of set aside. And it's literally just a song about a uh, a blind mute deaf kid who becomes the greatest pinball player of all time, like in the world. And that that's like there's nothing else deeper to it like if you if you look at the lyrics like that's just all it's about is this kid becoming the greatest uh and it's a great song but i I didn't realize that it was put in there for the intention of breaking up like what the rest of the album is about but anyway so now you know pinball comes from bocce ball and 
was illegal at yeah. one point. It's just it's dumb. I want to see that. I just would love to see that guy go in there and show him. I think it needs to be an epic movie. Like that ends in that court battle. Like that it. would be a great. Yeah. That what's it? Two weeks in hell. With yes. Andy, oh, it would be a movie short with Kit. Oh, yeah, he Kit Harrington's in, in there. Yeah, him and uh, Andy Samberg are in a tennis match oh, against yeah. each other. Yeah, yeah. So we could do that. Who we is could... actively tapping on the? <laughs> it was probably me. Somebody was actively tapping on the table, and I'm here like on the table. No, that wasn't me. I don't know. Could have been a ghost. That's good. That's it. That's all. That's all there is. This one, that's it. See ya. Not yet. Okay. Everybody's got to go to Twitter. They got to go to at Nerd Grapevine. They got to go there. They got to go to Instagram, which is the same thing. Uh, And keep listening to us on Spotify and iTunes. And go listen to Austin Shazam Pfeiffer on Haunter I Barely Know Her, episode 20. Uh, Listen to him tell some super fun stories fun if you're into spooky terrifying make you want to poop your pants as long as you don't puke your mask we gotta stop i'm good now you gotta, I'm stop, immune. We gotta stop puking the mask austin when life gives you grapes you put them in your mouth and you gently squish them and how would that sound and once again i gotta go